Support for The Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, January 9th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. We have a packed agenda for the show today. First, you'll hear about some recent headline-grabbing news from Weight Watchers and GoPro before getting a deeper dive on Boston Beer Company and the weak return shareholders have had to endure there the past few years. So joining me today via Skype from Raleigh, North Carolina, is SeniorFool.com contributor, Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit, this is your first appearance of 2018. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks, man. It's great to be back. Listeners, great to be with you again. We're back in the saddle after a, a long, cold snap here on the East Coast. I'm looking forward to some better weather, and I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. How's the new year treating you so far? Um, I know you mentioned you're doing renovations and home improvement projects, holidays and everything. All that stuff go well for you? Yeah, man. I had this really ambitious agenda to balance family great food, friends, and of course, we're working on the renovations, but most of that, just the the plan went out the window. (laughs) Uh, We chilled a lot, didn't get much accomplished. It was, uh, but you know, one of those rejuvenating breaks, uh, I'm I'm ready to attack this new year in kind. How about yourself? Now, you were dog-sitting. Yes, and I I miss the little guy. I miss him. We had him for a month, and... Though I don't miss the late night walks when it was like 10 degrees outside, uh, uh, send him back to our friends. Uh, you know, they had just gone back from Taiwan, a trip abroad. And I, I really miss being greeted so enthusiastically when I get home because you know, my wife's not so enthusiastic. All right, so on to our first topic for today. Regular industry-focused listeners should be familiar with the first company on our list, Weight Watchers. So in the last week of 2017, we aired the first annual Industry Focus Awards. Uh, Definitely check out those episodes if you haven't heard them yet. And from that award series, I successfully pitched and won the award for the Most Valuable Player category thanks to my pitch for Weight Watchers and its brand ambassador and major uh, shareholder, Oprah Winfrey. So Oprah and Weight Watchers launched their partnership in late 2015. She, She took a 10% stake in the company. She claimed a board seat and has really gone on to become the face of Weight Watchers. And thanks to her fame and obviously her influence with uh, millions of consumers, um, you combine that with some of the broader strategic changes that the company's made. And Weight Watchers was one of the biggest gainers on the stock market in 2017, with shares pretty much quadrupling in value. So now we're just over a week into 2018, and the bullish rally continues. So yesterday, the stock traded up over 12%, thanks again to news regarding Oprah. The shares, I believe, are up another 4 or 5% before we got into the studio to start recording. So there's a lot of speculation here, admittedly. But what happened exactly, Asit? Well, a couple of things happened uh, since the New Year. So on the 2nd of January, shares were up 8% because uh, Weight Watchers announced that it has enlisted DJ Khaled as a brand ambassador. And he has, I believe, over 8 million Twitter followers. So this is like oxygen for Weight Watchers stock. Mm -hmm. This follows the model that Oprah developed in which she tweets out her progress to her following and subscribers jump, the stock jumps. And it's a by design an extremely effective way for Weight Watchers to combat its 
formally stodgy image uh, and also repel the attacks that have come from just a plethora of free apps that you can access now uh, from your smartphone to your, your smartwatch uh, to, to get into shape. So uh, what's been happening is the confluence of influencers uh, is really going to propel this stock further. Maybe we'll t- have a bit to talk about the valuation. But th- these were the main two events so far this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the Oprah front, I, I think it's really tough to uh, to quantify, but also separate the influence that she's had on the strong results the company's enjoyed the past two years. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about, for example, her acceptance speech, uh, I think it was uh, two nights ago now, uh, at the Golden Globes. And a lot of people are reading into this as hinting at a potential presidential run. I think that's behind a lot of the, the kind of, the, the activity in the stock the past few days. And though, you know, I read through that transcript and there's nothing in there that points directly to her uh, starting a presidential run. Um, but the fact that she offered up arguably the most notable moment of the night at that awards ceremony and some of the other stories and hints that she might run in 2020, that's all positive PR for her. And then by association, Weight Watchers because of the partnership and helps explain the 17% gain the stocks enjoyed so far just this week. And if we take a snapshot of the financial results, I always think it's interesting. You go back to the third quarter of 2015, call this the pre-Oprah period. You know, Revenue was, de- was at $273 million for that quarter. It was down 21% year over year. And then you jump forward two years to the third quarter of 2017. The partnership's in full swing. Revenue is at $324 million, up 15% year over year. Earnings per share were up over 70% over that two-year period. Active subscribers up over 30%. Customers are sticking with Weight Watcher services for much longer. So sometimes it's you know I'm de- I'm tempted to give my usual warning and caution regarding regarding market noise and how foolish long-term investors should stay focused on a company's fundamentals. But I, I think it's tough to deny how unique. The situation is, um, you know, Asit, you mentioned influencers. You know, Oprah is not on the core management team at Weight Watchers. She's not a chief executive of any kind. Um, but the strength of her personal brand, and then you know, this new partnership with DJ Khaled, you know, that all has undoubtedly contributed to the company's turnaround, stronger results. And I think it's going to continue to play a pretty important part in Weight Watchers' future. And you know, I was chatting with other fools before coming into the studio about this, but. Can you think, or do you know of any other examples for of companies that have really benefited so handsomely from having the right spokesperson, essentially, or brand ambassador? Because the only one I could really think of was Nike and Michael Jordan. Yes, and Oprah brings something a little different than Michael did. Michael brought us the sense of being like Mike, so we want to replicate his success by wearing his shoes. But you have to go, in my opinion, all the way back to Joe DiMaggio, and his endorsement of um, coffee products to find such an influential brand ambassador. What Oprah has, it's slightly different than other influences, influencers out there, is credibility and trust. People really trust uh, what she says. In fact, financial institutions see her as extremely credible. The stock popped when she announced her investment and stepping up to endorse the brand simply because Wall Street understands she's always been a shrewd businesswoman, and she wouldn't have taken this gig had she not seen the potential. So it wasn't just about marrying up a celebrity with a brand. Oprah has a track record of building successful businesses, 
Um, she has a platform that crosses several types of media and, and a huge following of people who really believe her and see her as credible in almost any endeavor she undertakes. And it really is hard to, to think of someone who has so much influence on this level of trust and credibility. Again, we can go back to products and talk about people like Steph Curry and Michael Jordan. That's a different type of product endorsement. So I, I think this is unique. And I'm with you. I, I think that she actually is impacting Weight Watchers in a good way, that she is lifting the subscriptions. She's lifting their paid revenue. And that is something that you, an investor can put money behind. Uh, so we'll see. If it, I doubt the stock will replicate last year's success. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably know this better than I do, um, Vince, but what, 250% just last year? I, yeah, that sounds conservative. Uh, it, yeah, it was even more than that. And you know, like uh, I mentioned on the award show, one of the biggest gainers on the market, you know, uh, hands down. And it, it blew the other cast members, the other industry-focused cast members, away. And I think is what was able to get me that MVP win. But congratulations, Oprah, by the way. It it was a great pitch, and and I honestly, the story for 2017 for this company so far, uh, you know, it's just really incredible to follow. But uh, next up, we're going to turn our attention to GoPro. So this is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum as the company is really struggling. Um, so recall that the uh, that GoPro IPO'd at $24 per share back in the summer of 2014, giving the company a market cap of $3 billion. So about three and a half years later, uh, the company has run into some into, I'd say, the same problems that plague a lot of hardware-focused um, kind of consumer technology companies. So its first mover advantage has pretty much evaporated. You know, GoPro um, really making action cameras in that category as popular as it is now. And while the company's brand, its reputation in action cams, I think, is still unmatched, uh, GoPro tends to adopt a premium pricing strategy and that's left it very vulnerable to lower-priced competing devices that have uh, worked to pretty much commoditize the market and also undercut GoPro's own sales. And then, you know, it had pushed for a platform kind of media play, but that never gained enough traction. So ultimately, we have a stock now that's trading 75% below its IPO price. And then there's other recent news that really dampen, I think, any enthusiasm for a turnaround for this company, at least in 2018. Asa, can you give us a rundown of some of these uh, latest developments? Sure. So yesterday, the company pre-announced its quarter four 2017 numbers. Um, It's expecting $340 million in revenue during that important holiday season. So just for comparison's sake, in Q4 of 2016, the company sold about $541 million worth of product. Go back to Q4 2015, $437 million of product. And quarter four of 2014, the year it went public, it sold $634 million. So one, you see a declining trend, uh, and two, and we'll talk about this in just a second, uh, GoPro often botches its holiday quarter. Other stuff that announced yesterday, which did not please investors, it's reducing its global workforce from about 1,250 people to under 1,000 employees. Um, and CEO founder Nicholas Woodman is going to take $1 in cash compensation in 2018 as part of this restructuring program. The thing that really stuck out to me of all, all the bits and pieces they announced yesterday is that they're going to exit the aerial drone business. Uh, listeners may be familiar with their Karma uh, drone. That's a thousand price point plus product. And the company is citing 
regulatory pressure in U.S. and Europe, which makes competing in that arena very difficult. I'm sort of skeptical of that. I think that actually the cash burn that uh, the company has been experiencing might have something to do with this sort of strategic exit from that business. But that's the bulk of the damage they announced yesterday. It doesn't look good. If you think about the stock has decreased about 80% since its IPO in 2014. What are your thoughts on uh, yesterday's announcement, Vince? I think you hit the the biggest items there, Asif, for sure. Something else that jumped out to me, for example, um, you know, there were price cuts that GoPro needed to implement to improve sell through for some of their hero cameras, and they mentioned how after price changes that they implemented, I believe on December tenth, going into the holiday season, helped uh, double or triple sell through for some of their devices, but. That also brought their gross margin down to about 25%, down from the 40% or higher levels that the company used to enjoy. So definitely a squeeze in their profitability there. And otherwise, I think, yeah, the big news is definitely with around the Karma uh, and their exit from the drone business. The fact that the Karma was supposed to be GoPro's next big thing, uh, you know, a way for them to expand into the drone market, uh, pick up some new growth. And that product had an absolutely disastrous launch with new u- users reporting that their Karma drones were were falling out of the sky. And I was just talking to uh, one of our other Fool.com contributors, Steve Symington, about this before coming into the studio. The fact that you know the devices worked, uh, you know, fundamentally they were okay, but you know, a flaw in, in the battery compartment allowed the batteries to get disconnected, and these and the drones were just uh, losing power, falling out of the sky, and that's terrible press that k- absolutely kills any momentum the company had entering with this new product. And otherwise, you know, reviews I think generally middle of the road, maybe slightly positive for the Karma, but again, it's at a higher end price point, and company's giving up here in a pretty costly, embarrassing two year experiment. And otherwise, uh, the, some other news has come through early this week. There are reports that the company, that GoPro, has hired investment bankers to pursue a potential sale. And founder and CEO Nick Woodman told CNBC, "If there are opportunities for us to unite with a bigger parent company to scale GoPro even bigger, that is something that we would look at." And in the preliminary fourth quarter results, Woodman says the company uh, could return to profitability and growth in the second half of 2018. But given that management whiffed so badly uh, on the pre- its previous guidance, you know, by over 25 percent, over 130 million dollars um, for that fourth quarter holiday guidance, it's tough to take that optimistic view uh, seriously, even with some of the lower expenses that um, that they'll uh, be able to enjoy thanks to the layoffs and some some of their other initiatives. But Final take on the company uh, or the stock asset? I just exercise caution. I think that uh, the company has a history of these operational missteps, and they have a history of botching uh, fourth quarters, the the holiday seasons. Mm -hmm. This is not the first time that GoPros realized in the first or second week of December that they priced the product incorrectly to meet consumer demand. So I, I always feel like the money they put in marketing dollars in December to try to entice people to buy these higher price points, $400 versus $300, they should use that to absorb some price investment. The stock can grow profitably again. Those are the keywords um, out of the CEO, but that's going to be slow growth and not a lot of profits. So it'd be extremely cautious around these. Going to institutional investors is sort of the white flag of surrender being raised. Uh, it's not a value play by any means, but Mantra this year, you never know what happens. Maybe by the second or third quarter, there might be some uh, value in it for those adventurous investors out there. Yeah, the big thing for me is just um, 
a lot of the the headwinds, the obstacles that it's run into recently, all have very long term implications. You know, no more karma that kills one avenue in terms of the drone market for uh, for new growth. You know, the price cuts on the hero cameras that points to uh, potentially permanently reduced profitability going forward, and you know, more and more competing products in their uh, their core space now. So, despite the strength of the, the brand that GoPro has, I just I don't know if that alone is going to be enough to overcome uh, some of these challenges. And next up, we are going to turn our attention to Boston Beer Company. But before we do that, support for the Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to quickenloans.com fool. That's quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Okay, asset. So our last segment, Boston Beer Company is on tap. I'm going to start this uh, conversation with a bit of a juxtaposition of Boston Beer and the broader craft industry. So for a time, you know, Boston Beer, I'd say, was the face of the craft beer movement, and the Brewers Association, the Brewers Association, even changed its definition for what qualifies as a craft brewer to accommodate um, Boston Beer's incredible growth. But on the industry side, in the past five years, we've seen the number of craft brewers more than double to about 5,600. We've seen the volume share for craft beer approximately double to about 12 to 13%. Its share of beer sales is almost 25% by dollar value. And by most metrics, craft beer is still an area of strength for the overall beer industry. And then if we turn our attention to Boston Beer, in the past five years, the stock has trailed the broad market with less than half the return of the S&P 500. Sales declined in full year 2016 and will likely go down again in 2017. Depletions, which are the sales from distributors to retailers, um, those are down mid-single digits in 2017. So results for the company have definitely hit a wall, and they're trending downward. Uh, CEO Martin Roper, he's leaving this year, and the search for his replacement is, um, has been going on for some time now, has yet to be finalized. So there's lots of uncertainty here. You know, what's your take on the situation, Asit? Um, this company, great company, um, Boston Beer is a, a traditional craft beer. The pioneer in the industry. I am 40-something, let's say. It's a new year. I don't want to give too much away here. <laughs> but I can remember in college when it was the craft beer. This is the uh, particular of the universal comment that, that you just made, that for a while, everyone identified Boston Beer as you know the craft beer company. And I think what we're seeing is this huge fragmentation, not just in the craft side of the industry, but the beer industry as well, as we go for beers that have flavor, um, beers that are super light, beers that delve into the craft space, uh, beers of a particular geographical focus, like Constellation Brands Mexican beers that we've talked about on this show. There's so much fragmentation that it becomes hard to get volume growth and depletion growth. Depletion growth, just to remind listeners, is the measurement of beer leaving a distributor's warehouse versus when the manufacturer sells it to the distributor. And I think that the big problem that's plagued Boston Beer Company over the last five years is it's identified itself as the craft industry, but that industry has changed underneath it. I don't know if any of our listeners read uh, French philosopher Montaigne, um, sort of meaty essays to read, but everyone should, should read these. The common thread running through each of these essays is that this philosopher is always trying to suss out 
his place in the world, where he's going, where he's been, and he understands his identity is always changing. Um, the sin, perhaps, that Boston Beer committed was not acquiring some of these small, rapidly growing craft breweries. Constellation Brands, of course, uh, bought Funky Buddha Company. It bought uh, Ballast Beer Company. But um, Boston Beer's capital allocation has sort of remained consistent. It's invested in itself. And I think that some millennial consumers may perceive the brand as a bit tired um, and maybe their dad's idea of craft beer. Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts on its issues? So I was talking to my friend um, uh, you know, about this company uh, not long ago. So he's a self-proclaimed beer connoisseur. And he brought up some interesting uh, points to me. I'm not as big of a craft beer fan as he is. And when we were talking about Boston Beer, his main points were that one, Samuel Adams just it doesn't have the cachet and the prestige that it used to kind of like you mentioned Asit. Not that there are thousands of these small hip regional brewers and new labels that they have to compete with. And then two, there's so many different varieties too of Samuel Adams now that the company has released hoping to kind of rejuvenate some of the growth and and stir up uh, the stir up results for the company, but it's not working. I think it adds to the complexity of their operations, probably to their costs too. And the company, you know, they're working to uh, manage expenses, but I don't think growth is going to come from uh, a turnaround of the core Samuel Adams brand at this point. And management is going to have to make some pretty tough choices in the next year, in 2018, between their new, new CEO, uh, you know, lead on the leadership side. And then, as you mentioned, ponying up potentially for acquisitions, and there's even been some rumors of the company eventually putting itself up for sale. Um, do you think, Asit, that following in the footsteps now, uh, uh, in terms of the mega, how the mega brewers acquired some of the, the more uh, fast-growing, popular craft brewers to get a piece of that trend, do you think for Boston Beer to take on that strategy now, uh, we know there's been a lot of crazy... Uh, um, price tags for these acquisitions. Is that the right play? Do you think that's really their only option at this point? If they're looking to actually grow the company, they have to look outside of their own operations? I think they really should consider acquisitions. It seems crazy. We've talked about Ballast Point Beer, a small craft brewery out on the West Coast being acquired for a billion dollars by Constellation Brands. So there are valuations which are ridiculous for the very strongest of the craft breweries, but for a management team that's willing to poke around um, and then scale up a smaller brewery through uh, the Boston Beer distribution system, I think it makes sense, and I think it's their only choice. A very interesting article by one of our uh, full contributors who I consider to be a guru on beer, uh, Rich Dupree. I've I've spoken about him before in this uh, show, but listeners, if you want to follow someone who knows his beer, uh, Rich Dupree follow his articles. He wrote earlier uh, last year that if you look at the way um, Samuel Adams, Boston Beer Company, has allocated its excess cash, it's bought back its own shares at high prices. And the stock has really sort of flatlined over the last couple of years. So instead of putting two or $300 million to work and buying a smaller brewery, it's chosen to invest in itself. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that capital allocation has got to change in the coming years. Uh, management, the new uh, management that comes in, the new CEO, which we'll you know, find out sometime this year, mm-hmm. is going to have to um, go around and find out which companies, uh, hopefully close to the regional headquarters, that it can purchase and scale up. 
and it needs to experiment with this. Um, on, on the plus side, uh, Samuel Adams as a brand still is a very strong brand. I agree with you, Vince. If they could call some of these varieties that we see, I think they can get a better return on their marketing investment. And also, they've seen some of their variant brands like Truly Spiked and Sparkling and Twisted Tea. Those have grown in the last year, whereas the total volume growth for Samuel Adams has been about negative four percent so it has some growth areas shift the money invest in what's growing uh simplify as you've pointed out and i think beat the bushes find those small breweries invest in them and look to the future all right thank you asset i think it's a good summation of our thoughts for this company what you know what they need to to hopefully right the ship turn things back around in the year ahead Um, that's about all the time we have today any other final thoughts from you um you know otherwise we'll close out for the day uh, sure, viewers. It's, as far as beer is concerned, uh, also look at Molson Coors. Uh, slow growth, but perhaps an opportunity there. And we always talk about Constellation Brands. It's still a great buy. Everyone have a great new year. I uh, hope it goes well. All right. Thank you, Austin. And thank you, Fools, for tuning in. Austin Morger is our producer. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Fool on. <music>